John chapter 14, and as we look into this passage of Scripture, you know, it's so easy to think that you've got it when you don't have it. And there's so many people in churches today that are in worship, uh, they think that they are followers of Jesus uh, because uh, they've jumped through some hoop that the church created i.e., uh, they prayed the right prayer, they went down and shook the minister's hand, or they followed suited with baptism, um, and as a result of that, they are under the delusion that those things in and of themselves is what has saved them. It really comes down, though, to, to one word. And that one word, as we find in John chapter 14, is trust. What does it mean to trust? Now, some of us, we would, be, we would confess today and we would say, you know, we have trust issues. Uh, and you have trust issues. We have trust issues. Uh, why? Because we have been let down at some point in our lives. Either we put our faith or trust in someone or into a relationship or into a person, or into an agency, or whatever it might be, and that agency, or that corporation, or that foundation, or that person, or that mom, or that dad, or that brother, or that sister, or that friend, let us down. And you see, it's one thing that if trust is broken once, you kind of, you're bruised. But over a period of time, and over a lifespan, and it doesn't take long. In fact, I would be, venture to say that many of us, even in, as students, uh, before we graduate high school, have developed some sort of trust complex within our own lives. And, and that comes from the fact that we've been let down time and time again. Trust requires honesty. Trust requires authenticity. And so when we let honesty and authenticity of who we are shine into someone else's life, we are trusting them to hold that to themselves. And there's nothing worse, and it's even worse today, because you know, when I was in high school, when I was growing up, we didn't have, we didn't have Facebook, okay? We, we, I mean, it was lucky if we even opened a book, but uh, we, we have Facebook. Uh, and now you have Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and all these other things, uh, Instagram and all these other things at your disposal. And so a lot of the secrets that used to be at least secret are now paraded on the internet um, and if you also this if you ever get a private message from me on Facebook and it says something like this uh, it will say something like this you really should not put this out there I'm not trying to scold you I'm just trying to tell you don't air your laundry or anybody else's laundry in social media huge huge mistake and I continue to say, if you knew how many times I would meet with couples or meet with individuals concerning uh, things that have happened on Facebook, on social media, either about them, either there's a big shindig that's going on and they weren't invited or whatever it might be, you'd be amazed. If we could eliminate all of that drama, because I believe the church should be a drama-free zone, uh, we, would, we would really cut down on the amount of pastoral counseling that I have to give. I mean, 90% of the pastoral counseling I give has something to do with either Instagram or uh, something to do with Facebook or one of those social media outlets. 
But because that information is at the touch of our fingertips and because we can put things out there about ourselves or others and because we don't have to be honest on social media and we can portray whatever image we want to portray about ourselves or any image that we want to portray about others, there is a big trust issue with the generation of today. There's always been trust issues for everybody. But I think it's bigger today because we've not seen good examples of what it means to trust in a trusting relationship that was encouraging, that was uplifting, and that drew us into more spiritual depth than what we've seen. And so many people have these trust issues. We find it hard to trust. And over a period of time, for those of you who, who know exactly what I'm talking about, what happens is you begin building a wall. And you didn't set out to build that wall. None of us do. But because you get hurt and because you get bruised, you start putting up a wall. Everybody has a wall. Everybody does. I don't care how transparent you are. I don't care how good you are. Everybody has a wall. And if you're honest with yourself... There are a circle of what you will call friends, maybe, that you will let on the inner circle. But you may not let them behind your wall. Because you've been burned. Because you've been hurt before. Not necessarily by them, but by other, but by other people or by other situations. And so there's a lot, listen, there's a lot of hurting people going around our community. There's a lot of hurting people in our church. There's a lot of people that have been burned. There's a lot of walls that have been put up. And not because people wanted to put them up, but because of the burning that they received. The goal of the gospel, and actually the goal of all of scripture, really, is to bring down walls. To absolutely obliterate the walls. So that when the children of Israel are marching into Jericho, there is a wall, and that wall will come down. Now, I don't want you to confuse walls with boundaries, because there's a difference. Walls are things that you inadvertently have put up to protect yourself. Boundaries are things that are absolutely needed. Everybody needs boundaries in relationships. Let me give you an illustration. For instance, if you show up on my front doorstep, whether you're male or female, it makes no difference. I'm not going to invite you into my bedroom. Does that make sense? Why? Because that would be a violation of what I would consider a boundary. Likewise, you're not going to invite me into your bedroom, hopefully. Because that would be a violation of boundary. Now, maybe you're, maybe you're curious and you want to invite me over because you want to see about color scheme or whatnot. Eh, just be careful with the boundary. There are boundaries that are there, and if they're not boundaries in relationships, you need to have them. Uh, I'm reminded, uh, I've told this story to some of you, uh, kind of in, in mixed company or in private conversation, but uh, uh, Tabby knows this well. When Tabby was the youth pastor at our church in Louisiana, she took students to camp, like all youth, youth people do, and so she took a group um, to New Mexico. It was, we all, I had to go all the way across Texas. She was gone for about 10, 14 days, I think, something like that. Uh, to a centrifuge camp. And so the entire church knew that I was bachelor for the week. 
Uh, and so I lived on a, a prominent location, uh, I'd say, a prominent location meaning that I was right across uh, from a school. So everybody passed by. I mean, everybody, when they went to their house, they passed by my house. So, you know, I'm out in the yard, and I'm mowing the grass, and along comes uh, a, young, a young female who has been a member of the church, and uh, she decides that, she, she pulls up, and she says, I'm going to make us dinner. You're going to do what? I'm going to make us dinner. And I said, uh, no, that's not going to work. No, you're not going to make me dinner. Uh, that's, that's not the way this is going to work. Now, she was also married. I had married her and her husband. Her husband was out of town for a conference or something. And she goes, no, 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 you understand. You just go ahead and mow the grass. And when you get done, you just come in and take a shower, and I'll have dinner prepared on your table. Boundaries. 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 Now, some of you don't see a problem with this situation. That's a sign that you don't have proper boundaries. Others of you are curious about what in the world, what do you do about this? So I'm out there mowing the grass, and I'm like, you know, she goes in the house. She's in my house. Now, this is before we had kids, okay? So she's in my house, and I'm like, what in the world am I going to do? So remember I told you that everybody drove by my house? I see a deacon. Deacon drive out. Woo! I flag him down. I said, Dave, I said, I need you to invite me to dinner tonight. Don't ask any questions. I need you to invite me to dinner tonight. I said, you know, you know who's in there? And she, she's fixing dinner. She's thinking, and so long story short, my day was saved because I got invited to dinner by deacon. But my day was also saved because I have boundaries. Now sometimes I've messed up boundaries in relationships. I didn't see it. For instance, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I like to be nice to people and I'm cordial to people and I realize that sometimes uh, that some people think more of a relationship than what you do. So I had a girlfriend of mine, we were good friends, we were friends, that's it. I didn't, was not interested in any way, shape or form. She thought it should be more and that was an example of I let down my guard and let down a boundary and so before I knew it she was reading into things a lot more than I was and then I have to back up and say no that's the way this is not going to work no that's not the way this is going to happen time out <laughs> you're a friend that's it that's it you have to have boundaries because if you don't have boundaries you're not ever going to be able to trust because boundaries set up the parameters of what trust can be. So when Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 15, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 14, um, he says, trust in him. And then he goes in this long spiel about there is plenty of room in my kingdom. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. The boundary that we have with God is a boundary that, listen, is full of grace. It's not a boundary like any other boundary that you and I are going to have in this, in this life with any other people. But the boundary that we have with God is based on the parameters of grace. God's desire is to have a relationship with you. God's desire is to have an intimate relationship with you. God's desire is to have a relationship with you that's more intimate than you've ever been intimate with anybody else in your life. So I want you to listen, husbands and wives, as intimate as you are in your relationship. Your relationship with Christ should be more intimate. Now, some of you have trouble with that because you've equated intimacy with sex. And that's not the same thing. Intimacy is about trusting 
in the person that you're in a relationship with. Cultivating intimacy is really about cultivating trust. And remember what I said, because many of us have walls up, it's very hard for us to trust. And so because we can't trust other people that we do see, it becomes very, very difficult for us to trust in a God who we cannot see. But he's nonetheless real. And so a lot of us are in this delusion of spirituality in that we have prayed a prayer or we've been baptized and that is the experience in itself of our salvation. But salvation is much more than that. Salvation is not the end. Salvation is the beginning. Accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, in other words, trusting Him. And what are you trusting Him to do? You're trusting in several things. One is you and I are trusting Christ to live up to His word that He's given. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. He promises to love us because God is love and in Him there is nothing but love. Trusting in God means that you and I believe that He, he is who He has said He was and He is who He says He is. That He namely came, He lived amongst His people, He did a ministry for three years, He was the one and only Son of God, He was beaten, flogged, crucified, and he was resurrected. And now he sits at the right hand of God. And the Holy Spirit, which is the third part of that trinity, lives and dwells in those of us who have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. So here's, here's the other thing I want to say. When you and I trust Christ as Lord and Savior, we're not just trusting in Jesus the Son. We are trusting Jesus the Son and we are trusting God the Father who is in him. We are relinquishing control of what we want to do and we are trusting the Father and the Son and we're inviting the Holy Spirit, which is God as well, to be in our lives so that we can trust more, so that we can surrender more. Surrendering is all about trusting. It's all about trusting. Now, this past week I was fortunate enough, we went on vacation and we went on our first cruise. I'd never been on a cruise before. The only cruise I'd ever been was on a ferry boat in Charleston, South Carolina, going to Fort Sumter. Big difference in a ferry boat and a cruise line. I got on that boat on Monday trusting that the captain knew what he was doing. I never went on the bridge. They wouldn't let me anyway. I never went on the bridge. I trusted he was going to get us from point A to point B and back home again. That's what I trusted. I placed my confidence in him because I got on the boat. Question is, do you trust God like that? Have you made a decision to trust God with your life? He is the captain of your ship. And he doesn't, unlike this trip that I took this week, he doesn't want you to get on board and never acknowledge him. He wants you to get on board and live amongst him and with him and enjoy his presence. Do we trust God? Because here's the thing, God places his trust in us. Let me tell you how God places his trust in us. 
We've had a commissioning service today, which means that we are setting people apart to do missions, to go out in the world and to share the love of Christ with people. That is how God trusts us. God trusts us to accomplish His mission that He's called us to. He is expecting us to do it. He is calling us to do it. We have two callings on our lives, every single person. We have a calling to trust in the Lord Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. And we have a calling on our lives to advance His kingdom. That is, grow His kingdom. That is, share the gospel. That is, share the story of Jesus and have God do His amazing work in people's lives. It all boils down to trust. This one word is pivotal to our faith because without trust, we cannot have faith. Without faith, we cannot have an eternity with Him. We've got to trust Him. It takes years to develop trust in people. It takes seconds for it to be destroyed. Be very careful with what you say. Be very careful with what you do. People are watching you. People are looking to you. People are trusting that you can do and you can live and you can be the follower of Christ that you need to be. Don't let him down and don't let others down because you fail to trust in the provision that God's given. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. My Father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And then his follower, Thomas, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In a, listen, in a world of so many religions, in a world of so many diverse philosophies, in a world of plurality, in a world of diversity, all you have to do is turn on CBS News and look at it, Fox News and look at it, MSN and look at it, pick whatever news source, CNN or whatever else in between, NBC, ABC, whatever. You look and you see all the plurality, all the diversity, all the belief systems that are around this world. And in the midst of that, Jesus does not come alongside those things and strike harmony with them. In other words, Jesus doesn't mesh with them. Jesus rings a chord of absolute dissonance, which means he is like a gong in the midst of the music saying, no, 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 no. There are many, 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 many ways that will lead you and me astray. There are many, many, many paths to hell. There are many, many good intentions that will pave the path to hell. There is one way, one truth, and one life, and the only ticket, the only ticket that you and I have for eternity to expend in the presence of God is Jesus Christ. Period. Now I know that sounds harsh. It is. 
Because Jesus is harsh. Jesus is loving. But Jesus doesn't want your spiritual walk. Jesus doesn't want your family talk. Jesus doesn't want your home life or your job life or your workplace or your play life or your spiritual life or any other. Jesus wants you. He wants you. He wants us. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he is not a band-aid to put on a wound. He doesn't cover the wounds when we have been broken by distrust. He doesn't want to cover the wounds where we have been cut and pulled and tugged and torn and broken. He doesn't want to be the band-aid because he is a total solution. He doesn't want you to have the life that you and I wanted. He wants you and me to have the life that we have so desperately needed. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by or through either one of those prepositions you want to use, Him. So therefore, let me go on to say, it's not that as Jesus runs kind of against the grain, so to speak, of all the world religions, it's not that all world religions are all wrong. There are some truths in Confucianism. There are some truths in Islam. There are some truths in Taoism. There are some truths in Sikhism. There are some truths in Hinduism. There are some truths all over the place. But if you want the truth and you want to have the life, you come to Jesus. So it's not that Jesus is saying that all religions are all wrong. It's what he's saying is he is all right. Jesus is the fulfillment. Listen, when you have access to Jesus, you have access to the Father, the creator of the universe. Because to look at Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, is to believe and trust in God the Father who sent him. What other prophet can say that? Muhammad, ah, he can tell you about God. But when you look at him in the grave, by the way, you won't see the Father. Because he and the Father are not one, because he is not Jesus. The one thing that separates us from all other world religions, you can visit the shrines, you can visit the burial grounds, of practically every world founder of every world religion. You can go to the empty tomb in Israel, allegedly. There's no body there. There's no body there. Because Jesus is not there. Why? Because I trust and you trust. And he wants everybody to trust that God the Father has made a way where there seemed to be no way. He has made a provision and that provision was Christ himself who was crucified, who died for each one of us and for every sin that we'd ever think about committing, let alone the ones we do commit, and that he would be resurrected in three days. And as a result of Christ's resurrection, as long as we are trusting in him, leaning in him, we will be resurrected as well. We have a future. We have a hope. And our hope, that hope does not disappoint us. That hope encourages us to trust more. So I have something to say to those of us this morning that have been hurt and bruised and have difficulty trusting. 
pretend that your grip on trust is in the palm of your hand. Just imagine this, if you will. I just want you, over a period of the next four or five weeks, you got four fingers in your hand if you'd make a little fist, okay? Each week, I want you to let go of one of those fingers. Step one, I want you to let go of the index finger. And we'll make sure we do the middle finger with the other one so we don't do anything bad. But I want you to let go of one of those fingers each week. Little by little, as you lean into Jesus and as you lean into the Father, you trust him more. What does that look like? Well, first of all, it's not about trusting him on Sunday. It's every day of every week. 24 hours a day, that we would begin trusting him in areas that we've not trusted him before. It might be finances. It could be our grades. It could be our future plans that we have after graduation, what we are planning to do. Because we all have a plan of what we want to do. We all have a plan of what, where we want to be in 10 years. The question is, you know, it's not about what you and I want to do with our lives. Because as followers of Christ, as we trust him... He opens doors and opportunities that we never imagined. I have never served in any location, in any place that I imagined that I would be serving. Ever. There's been nothing predictable about my calling. There's been no, nothing predictable about my answering that call. There's been nothing predictable about where I'm going and where I've been and where I'm headed. And I love it. Because what it confidently does is it impresses upon me and hopefully it will impress upon you that the more you trust Him, the more you let go of your plans. And I'm a type AAA personality. I like to micromanage everything. Just ask, just ask my wife. What am I, I mean, I have a plan for her life. I like to micromanage everything. But I've learned over the years that the best plans the right plans, the best place to be is centered in His will. And the only way that you and I can pursue His will is by trusting. So over the next four weeks, each week, let go of a finger. And within a month, you will fully open your hand. You will fully open your trust to a God who loves you. And here's the amazing thing. People have always let me down. My wife has let me down. I have let her down. There's not, a, there's not a human being on this planet that, you know, that I've been in a relationship with that has not let me down. And that's going to be true of everybody. We, uh, listen, we all let each other down all the time. But the one person who has never, ever, ever let me down is Jesus Christ. What he says, he does. Where he sins... We need to go. So if he is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through him, it would be absolutely ridiculous, absurd, and idiotic to try to get to the Father any other way. Missions is not something that we add to our calling. Missions is who we are. We do missions because we are trusting in God. And listen, somebody, somebody entrusted us to God long before we ever accepted Christ. People were praying for you before you ever accepted Christ. You said, well, I didn't know anybody here. Doesn't matter. We pray for people all the time. 
God, would you work in people who are lost? Would your Holy Spirit work in such a way that you would draw them to a place of worship? And some of you showed up here, not because anybody invited you, you just walked in the door. It was in this place that you began to trust Jesus. And it's in this place that you've recognized that he has a calling for you. And that calling is to accept him as Lord and Savior. And that calling is to pursue him and to pursue his will. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So you may ask today, here's one of these hard questions that I frequently get. Todd, does that mean that a Muslim will go to hell? I will tell you that if a person does not accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they will spend eternity in hell based on God's word. You may say, that's not fair. Guess what? We don't get to change the dynamics of the rules. The rules are there. That's why we do missions. Because listen, I don't want anybody to go to hell. You say, well, what about a Muslim who, who, who's accepted Christ? A Muslim who's accepted Christ is a Christian. They're no longer a Muslim. A Mormon who has accepted Christ is a Christian. Now some of you thought, well, I thought that was the Church of Jesus Christ. Better read up on that. There's a lot of tempting parking places. There's a lot of, listen, there's a lot of good people. Listen, there's a lot of good people. But it's not about being good. It's about being centered in the provision that God has made through His Son, Jesus Christ. Two years ago... When I went to Rwanda, one of the things that I wanted to do is uh, I wanted to have some jewelry made. And so I had this ring made. Uh, and many of you have asked me over the last two years, why do I have two wedding bands on? <laughs> it's not a wedding band. It looks like one, but it's not. It has a cross on it. And so I asked a, a local artisan there in Rwanda, and I said, could you tell me, could you put me in contact with a jeweler here that I could watch them make the jewelry? And I've got video of all this stuff. And uh, he said, yes, but uh, I want to let you know that he's a Muslim. I said, okay. Oh, you don't have a problem with that? No, does he have a problem with me being a Christian? Uh, well, Christians don't really talk to him. And so, like many places, uh, when I went to Rwanda, there's a certain section of the city in Kigali that is Muslim. Okay, Here I am in my khaki pants, button-up shirt, white guy, walking. I look European. I'm walking. Uh, everybody else is in clerical robes. You know, the little little things going off in the tower, you know, calling people to prayer. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Uh, and so I'm walking along, and people are gawking at me. People are gawking me. So I go in this jewelry store, and uh, I walk in, and I said, I'm here to see Omar. Uh, and what business do you have with Omar? Do you work for the government? Uh, no, I don't work for the government. I'm actually a pastor of a church. And I said, I heard that he makes great jewelry, and I want him to make me a ring with a cross. I'm sorry, you want what? I, I would like Omar to make me a ring with a cross on it. Uh, and he says, you do know that we're Muslim. And I said, yes, I know that. I said, and you know that I'm a Christian. He said, obviously, if you want a cross. Uh, and I said, I said, yeah, I said, I heard he makes great jewelry. And so, listen, here's the, here's, here's the whole point of the story. You and I have to be intentional about reaching people. Now, let me do something. I can run fast, that's about it. I can't fight. Now, if I was you, I could fight, you know. Uh, I, I don't fight. 
So, you know, I'm consciously aware that I'm in an area where I'm being gawked at. I'm probably being followed. Uh, and, I, you know, I feel uncomfortable. If you want to be used for God's glory, because remember, that's what we're saying today, to God be the glory. If you want to be used for God's glory, it is going to require you and me to step out of our normal circumstance, to step out of our norm and to step into Him. Why? Because when we step into Him, it is an act of obedience and we are trusting Him. God's got this. So Omar made me this ring and through that course of that week that I was able to go and talk with him and share with him, he said this to me. You know, the only Christians I ever have read about or seen have been on the news. And the only thing on the news is how bad Christians are, that Christians are out to, to murder Muslims and that they're out to kill them and that's why the U.S. military is here and all this stuff. I have no idea what Al Jazeera and all those other stations put out there. But I can assure you it's not pro-America. And he said, but I, I want to tell you this, I have never met a Christian that would even come into my shop, let alone have me craft a piece of jewelry for him. I said, well, Omar, I said, I just heard that you're the best at what you do. And he says, well, I'm, he said, you know, we serve the same God. And I said, no, we don't. And the reason that I can come in this jewelry store is because my God is radically different from yours. You stay here in the store. You never venture out to intertwine with the Christians. But I will venture out to let you know about the Jesus that's behind this cross. Because my God loves you. My God has a purpose for you. Now, it'd be great if we could have a Hallmark program on this and say that Omar accepted Christ and 3,000 people were baptized that day. Uh, that didn't happen. But Omar had an encounter with Jesus. And the reason I know that Omar had an encounter with Jesus is because I stepped in him. When you trust God, when you trust the Father, when you trust the Son, and when you relinquish control, when you get away from your comfort zone, when you begin to open your door to trusting Christ, when you fully relinquish control of what you want, when you fully surrender to Him, your life will take a drastic change. And you will recognize that many, 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 many of the wars and battles that you have fought have been in vain. And some of the things that you should have fought for, some of the things you should have stood for, you failed miserably. And there'll be other areas that you realize that you were great in. Here's the thing. Every step of the way, every step of the journey, God's got you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Rather than spending our energy, the 70 or so years that we have on this earth, talking about who's going to hell, why don't we commit to changing those odds of radically pursuing lostness, not just praying for it, but pursuing it and putting it into it. Because I believe in a God that desires for Omar to be saved as much as he wanted Todd to be saved. I believe in a God who is interested in the ones that are radically fighting against Christianity today. And he radically wants to absolutely blow them away with his amazing grace and his amazing love. It's going to come through Jesus. 
It's going to come through the gospel. It's going to come through the truth. And it's going to come through the life that's in him. Will you trust him today? Are you trusting him today? Lean into the Father. Lean into the Son. And have your life made new. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in this invitation as we sing, I surrender all. And Lord, we pray that as we come to you, Lord, as we've set apart this day and this time to surrender to you, Lord, you know our walk. You know the lives that we lead, the decisions that we make. And Father, in this invitation, I pray that you would put a burden on our hearts for those who do not know Christ. Help us never to give up on anybody regardless, regardless of their faith, their lack of faith, their identity, their lack of identity, who they choose to marry, who they don't choose to marry, and everything in between. Lord, we don't condone things, but God, you call us to reach people that desperately need healing. Father, forgive us for not trusting you. Lord, in this place, we have people that have been burned and burned and burned time and time again, and the wall is high. Sometimes the wall is so high around us that we cannot see the end. Lord, may you break down the walls today, begin the process, and over the next couple of weeks, as we trust in you more and more, will you lead and guide us in this invitation as we seek you. For those who need to trust in Christ, maybe for the first time or for a second time or for a third time, this altar is open. For those that want to become an integral part of First Baptist Church, and they are trusting us to lead them and to pursue them and to do missions with them as we are all a part of God's ultimate plan. Lord, would you make it clear to us the decisions that we need to take. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We praise you in this moment that you might draw us together and that you might draw us unto yourself as we radically go out stepping out of our comfort zone and seeking lost people to love. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.